Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. That practically means you, Christian, share the gospel with a house key. That practically means you, Christian, share the gospel with a with an invitation that, hey, you know what? Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, my house. There's no question about where you're going to spend your birthday. You're my brother. You're part of a family. And the Christian community exists sometimes on what I like to call a starvation diet of community. Well, that insight about the importance of community comes from Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and she believes that many Christian families today are missing a powerful, life-changing ministry opportunity. You'll hear more on today's episode of Focus on the Family as she challenges us to look at our preconceived notions of what hospitality is and uh, remind us as well of God's calling on our lives to be more open to others. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Hey John, I have so much respect for Rosaria Butterfield. She's always been a seeker of truth, which is what draws, I think, my heart. I want to be that type of person, too. What is true, not what is in front of me that may be taking me away from truth. And I simply appreciate that um, desire that she has in her heart. Uh, several years ago, we shared Rosaria's dramatic testimony, which she refers to as her train wreck conversion. Um, in the late 90s, she was professor of English and queer theory at Syracuse University in New York. She was living proudly as a lesbian and feminist, and she was an outspoken advocate for LGBT rights. Uh, Rosaria had abandoned the faith of her childhood and had little or no interest in God the Bible, or Christians, whom she considered to be the enemy. Uh, But then God orchestrated something impossible. You know, when you think about it, no one is beyond the reach of God. I have said that so many times on this broadcast. Um, Never think that way, because it limits what God can do through you. Uh, Rosaria was uh, befriended by a Christian couple, Ken and Floyd Smith, who offered her the hospitality of their home. And that really caught her attention. That's what cracked her heart open. And over time, that simple act changed everything. And as you said, Jim, Dr. Butterfield has been on this broadcast a couple of times, uh, one of our most popular broadcast guests whenever she's on. She's an author, speaker, pastor's wife, and a homeschooling mom. And of the books she's written, today we're going to really zero in on this one, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in our post-Christian world. Rosaria, welcome back to Focus on the Family. Oh, thank you so much. It's always an honor and privilege to be here with you. It's just good to see you. My heart is leaping inside because it's so much fun. I I just love the way you think and what God has done with your life. Um, And what a background. And we're not going to cover all that ground. We're getting into a new direction today. Mm -hmm. But I so appreciate what the hand of God has done in you in your husband, in your family. Praise God. And it's a powerful testimony. In fact, if the listeners missed it, you can get it through uh, Focus on the Family. We'll link over to the download, yes. Because it is something that you should share with friends. It's uh, one of those uh, amazing stories of God's work in someone's life. Um, Help us understand why you are so passionate about hospitality. You know, we read that in Scripture and we think, uh, yeah, be kind, be joyful, be hospitable. Okay, and we keep moving. Yeah. But it yeah, is a key yeah. to unlocking the the heart of yeah. especially non-believers. It and it's also connected to what it means to be a radically converted person in this post-Christian world. Why? Here's why. When I share with people what Ken and Floyd Smith 
did for me in my conversion process. Now, we, we don't, I don't believe that I'm discipled into conversion. I don't believe that, you know, it was a casserole that brought me to faith. It was, <laughs> it was the Spirit of God. Yeah, this is Which love. is a supernatural, you know, the power of heaven coming down to save a sinner like me. But the highway that that traveled on was Ken and Floyd Smith's tireless Christian hospitality. I was in their home at least weekly for two years. And while in their home, I would argue with them. And after I would argue with them, I would go back to campus where I was a professor at Syracuse, and I would demean them. I would mock them. And I would go back the next week and do it again. Why did you say yes? I mean, what? Well, uh, because I was doing research on a book for the religious right, and I thought of Ken Smith as my unpaid research assistant. So was, you could, uh, uh, yeah, no, yeah. I, I just. So this came with a little bit of an undercurrent. Oh yeah, no, yeah. an agenda. Okay. I mean, I, if if I thought evangelical Christians had an agenda, believe me, as a gay rights activist, I had a bigger one, in my opinion. Right. And I thought I had the winning one. So you said yes. You go to the I home, said yes. and, and, and week after week, it's the same thing. Lots of people come in. Good food, simple food, sort of like how I cook. Simple food, but plenty of it. People come in. They talk. Then at a certain point. You know, the Bible's open, the Psalter's open. They sing the Psalms exclusively, four-part harmony. The the aesthetic beauty of the Psalms was compelling to me, and the words, quite frankly, were disgusting. (laughs) I I (laughs) don't know what else to say. To me at the time, absolutely. And after years and years of that, and I talk about this elsewhere, something happened. The Bible got to be bigger inside me than I. And that's what changed. And when I came to Christ... I did not stop feeling like a lesbian, but I knew Jesus was who he said he was. Yeah, and the challenge there is this tension you had to feel yes. between your life and what it was right. then as a as a sinner not drawing or knowing God, right. and then this odd attraction yes. to what this yeah, couple... Yeah, very odd. Yeah, Disarmingly it, How long did that process attraction. take before you said, Lord, I two get years. it? It was two years. It was two years. Let me just turn to the listeners again, because this is critical. Think of somebody in your life that you think is so beyond God's reach, they could never become a Christian, and start praying for them. Start inviting them over, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing. Right. Why do we stumble with that simple idea? Well, because I think the spiritual warfare that we experience is disarming to us, and it's unusual. And instead, my invitations is for Christians to just... Just relax and step into the conflict. But I think that we want it to be nice. We want to have a nice dinner. We want the table settings to match. We don't want the cat to have a hairball as soon as the <laughs> guests come in. You know, we, we want, and we certainly don't want our guests to be potentially offended. We don't want our guests to offend us. We have lots of anxiety. And this is spiritual warfare. And instead, I think what we need to do is what Ken and Floyd Smith did. They said, you know what? If we're going to be agents of grace, then we need to get close enough to the stranger to put the hand of the stranger into the hand of the Savior. And you know what? Somebody here is going to get hurt. Yeah. May God be given all the glory. Yeah. And and I I love the idea that you're – what's the right way to say this? You're deconstructing the complexity of doing something like this. It doesn't have to be – And this doesn't happen in La La Land. Guess (laughs) what? Guess what? You know, 20 years ago – People could sit together at the same table even though they voted differently. Today, we're told that's impossible. A good question is why? And those are some of the things that I try to unpack in this book 
and some of the practices that I think are necessary. But here's what I know. As I've shared with people my testimony, and I share with you what Ken and Floyd Smith did for me, I have so many people just walk away rich, young, ruler style. Mm. And they say, wow, they're super Christians. I could never do that. And I'm here to say, I think we all, I don't think anybody's called to be a super Christian, but I think we're all called to set our boundaries a little differently. In the past, we've set them according to our checkbook and according to our calendar. In a post-Christian world, we're called to set them according to the blood of Christ. Ken and Floyd Smith were just a little ahead of the game. Yeah, but it's where we should all be. And that's why I like the subtitle of your book, which is Radically Ordinary Mm -hmm. Hospitality. Mm -hmm. Um, Describe what that looks like day to day. Well, day to day, it means two things. First of all, conceptually, it means always looking at the objective of the Christian life, the purpose, your purpose for being here, and that is to seek strangers and make them neighbors, and embrace neighbors, praying that God would make them family of God. Mm. So that's conceptually the journey. And once you cross those thresholds, everything changes. When you cross the threshold between stranger and neighbor, you never go back to stranger. And when you cross the bridge from neighbor to family of God, you can't go back either. And so that's conceptually what it means. And what it means practically is that For the last 17 years of marriage, Kent and I have just done this thing that we thought was normal, but we, you know, we are in the world, so we know that Christians don't think it is. (laughs) And so we we sort of, so think of this book as our coming out party, if you will. Um, So for, when Kent and I got married, we were the only believers in our extended families. That means that we were lonely people. And our commitment to family of God meant that, that we believed that Our home was a place where a family of God gathers, not by invitation only, but organically and regularly. So we started practicing daily hospitality with our family of God from the very beginning of our marriage. One of the nice little old ladies in the church had bought us one of those little guest books that you (laughs) fill out. Well, after four months of marriage, we had filled it up entirely. And we looked at each other and said, we're going to throw this sucker away. Get a new one. No, we're never going to get a new one because we're going to have God keep these tallies. Oh, wow. Because there's something about keeping these tallies that is going to spook us. Hmm. Because we were noticing then a crisis of loneliness in the church. Mm. And, you know, part of how the post-Christian world became a post-Christian world is the secular world capitalized on some real sin issues in our church. I'm not talking right now about sexuality. Right. I'm talking about cold hearts. Right. I'm talking about the willingness to allow crushing loneliness to reside in the hearts of the people who are our fellow shoulder rubbers in the pews. Right. And and why? Well, because it was a sin that just went under the radar. We started to feel that our time was our own, that our homes were our castles, and that really the scriptural command that the gospel would come with a hundredfold practical nurturing connections within the family of God. And that's in Mark chapter 10. We might get to that on this in this conversation. We started to see that as somebody else's business. We started to 
prefer programs over relationships. Mm. And we looked at the singles in our church as people who needed to be fixed or fixed up. Yeah. And that's those are sins that we are revisiting in this post-Christian world. Well, I so appreciate that, the way we started the program, that heart for truth and understanding. And I think that's mm-hmm. true. When we really dissect where we're at, we're in a cold place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have automatic garage door openers. Mm-hmm. I would assume that... Like me, I know some of our neighbors. I don't know all our neighbors. And even when I'm in you know, Christian company, many people don't know any neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's an indication of what you're talking about, this, um, you know, it sounds harsh, but that cold-heartedness yeah. that we don't really care. Yeah. The other thing is just with modernity, you have so many things pulling at your time. Uh, you know, we're busy people, and we make excuses yes. that we're busy people, yes. and, and therefore we don't have time for hospitality and getting to know the people around us. And that right. that's really an error, isn't it? Because yes, it is. um, an old book, I think Paul Tripp is the author, Instruments in the Hands of God. There's a line in there that caught me for today's program, and that is, our relationships belong to God. Mm-hmm. That's right. Think of that that our relationships belong to God, and it's how we nurture them and how we steward them That's right. that is important to Him, That's right. the Heavenly Father. When you start looking at it from that perspective, wow, that's right. a lot of responsibility. Right, absolutely. And I would say in addition to modernity creating a kind of self-absorption, the idea that somehow I'm really busy and that I'm really <laughs> I'm guilty of that. I'm really busy doing important things and and maybe I should have a blog in my own name. I mean, can I just tell you that I think the Puritans would call that sin? Mm. I really do. And, and, and maybe you all have blogs in your names. And so you're just going to be like, oh, I'm sorry. I can't believe well, you nailed I, me. But, I happen but, to I'm have a blog. Yeah. I'm going to plead the fifth. I never do anything with it, but I have. But it. Yeah. speak to our hearts. But tell us. Yeah, we're open. Deal. I mean, in, in, in modernity, the idea was the, um, the self-autonomous individual oh. finding meaning in nothing but himself. That's the American creed. But now we're at even a more dangerous place because we've moved from modernity to post-modernity. And we are now in a place where we have the quote-unquote intersectional person finding purpose and meaning in nothing but victimhood. Yeah, that's so true. And you know, that is damaging in a different way, but that's what makes it impossible today, or seemingly impossible. I argue in the book it's not impossible. You just have to have enough chutzpah to, <laughs> to like move that. on with that. But often Christians feel that, how can I talk to my neighbors who identify as lesbian when everything I say is hate speech? Well, here's how. You make sure that your relationship with that person is stronger than the words you're going to use. Huh. And how do you do that? Well, get off Facebook Stop thinking that anybody really cares what you have to say on Twitter <laughs> and, and peel some potatoes. Put on a pot of coffee. Invite them over. And invite them over. And you know what? It's not efficient. We're talking about one person at a time. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Hey, Jim Daly here. If you like the Focus on the Family broadcast and haven't grown tired of this voice just yet, 
you'll love my Refocus podcast. On Refocus, I take a deeper dive with a respected thinker on different aspects of culture. I ask those hard questions that maybe they don't get that often, and I don't shy away from challenging topics to help you share God's grace, truth, and love with others. So listen to Refocus with Jim Daly on your favorite streaming app today. Your marriage resources, your adventures and odyssey stories, Focus was a constant influence. There are thousands of stories just like that from Focus on the Family's legacy community. Folks who leave a legacy gift through their will, trust, or other estate planning tool. You helped us have the gift of a godly family. Use your resources to help families thrive for generations to come. Find out more at FocusLegacyCommunity.com. That's FocusLegacyCommunity.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. I want to highlight some of the critics that you've had in your church. I mean, mm-hmm. because I think that's an important place to go, and that that will be something mm-hmm. that you face. Sure, um, people that say, you know, I just don't have people over. Maybe their personalities are more introverted. Mm-hmm. Speak mm-hmm. to the temperament yeah. issue, too, yeah. because this is hard to do for some people that aren't bent toward relationship in that way. Right, right. And I would say, too, that everybody doesn't have to do this the same way. All right? So there are lots of things that you can do. And if you do what you do and you open your arms a little wider, you're going to find that you have a niche that I don't have. Mm. And so there are various things. When it comes to seeking the stranger, one of the best things you could do is go get home studied. You know what? The welfare state has cornered the market on strangers. And if a couple of families in the church do it together, that means that you all can support another family in crisis. Mm -hmm. Now, all that means is that you have access to people in need. It doesn't mean you have to do anything. There are seasons of life when you can't. If you're a mom with small children, and let's face it, 7 o'clock is not the time you're having dinner with friends. That's bath time. Right. Um, Is there a time during the day that you can open your home to other moms with small children? But make it explicitly gospel-focused. I think this is the challenge. Christians need to do what you do, but realize that the gospel is not going to transmute by osmosis. So if you're having you know, lunch with people, how are you going to move from egg salad to eternity? Well, figure that out. <laughs> Ask good questions. Ask mm. good questions. But you know, I'll tell you, in our house, it helps to have a routine already established. Mm. And I, I want to ask you about that because mm-hmm. earlier you said, you know, you, if Christians have an agenda, you had an agenda. All I right, did. so go back to, to me. I'm inviting a neighbor over for coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I have to turn it to Jesus right now. Yeah. And so here's what I would say, too. That's a great question. Um One of the reasons that we have found making open invitations to our neighbors so useful, I mean, one is I talk in the book about a crisis in our neighborhood that that kind of conjured that up, but it it became so useful to just say, Thursday night is neighbor night. Thursday night is soup and prayer. Mm. I put on pots of soup at six, come join us. Anybody's welcome. We put this out on the Nextdoor app, invite 300 households, no kidding. And then at seven o'clock, we're going to have a short Bible lesson and we're going to sing a psalm, and we're going to pray. And you know what? First of all, neighbors already know what we're going to do. So, so it's, it's not a surprise. It's not a surprise. And you know what? Sometimes neighbors say, oh, hey, I got to go. That's fine. But they don't always. But the reason for these open and regular invitations is this. Many of your neighbors, I might even say most, are afflicted with abuse and addiction. And that means that as noble as your invitation, you know, Tuesday night at seven might be, 
Quite frankly, many of your neighbors do not know if they're going to be sober or safe that particular mm. Tuesday. But, you know, if it's regular, hey, we do this every week, one of those weeks, they will be ready. And so we turn it in this way, and it's a known reality. And we've had neighbors say, wow, is this some strange ritual you do? I don't care what you call it. <laughs> But we're going to go there. And the reason is because we've just talked about heavy things. We've just talked about important things. And now we want Jesus to enter this conversation, not to stop the conversation, but to deepen it. And then you know what? We're going to come back and do this tomorrow. And we're going to do this the next day. So we don't have a one-time opportunity to talk to our neighbor. This is the problem, that people have very shallow understandings of the relationships that they are to create. I'm not talking about a shallow relationship with my neighbors. God never gets the address wrong. He gave me these neighbors. He appointed these relationships, and I'm going to build them for as long as he keeps me there. And so to spend a good amount of time listening is very important. I mean, how will you know what the gospel bridges to your neighbor? Too often Christians think in false categories of personhood. They think, oh, There's got to be some special gospel for my neighbor who identifies as lesbian or a a different way of approaching the gospel for my neighbor who identifies as Muslim or not. You know, I mean, a big question that Christians have to ask, this is a question Ken Smith asked me 20 years ago, Rosaria, do you believe that what is true determines what is ethical or do you believe that what is ethical will determine what is true? We are all image bearers of a holy God, every single person. I don't care what category you have slapped onto yourself. There's only a few that are going to survive eternity. We know the word of God will survive eternity, so we want to make sure that our neighbors who might never hear it elsewhere will hear it from us. But here's what we need to also remember. Life is hard. And some people have one cross to bear and others have ten. So rather than pretending that the Christian life is democratic. Why don't we just work hard to roll up our sleeves and help carry some of those crosses? Mm -hmm. Well, and here's the issue with that. It's hard work. Yes. You know, and this uh, scripture that comes to my mind, Rosaria, is, uh, you know, do these good deeds so that they'll honor your Father in heaven. It it doesn't say, say these good words. That's right. Do these good deeds because through those deeds, someone's heart typically is opened. Even the most crusty of hearts is opened in that way because they see what's real. That's right. When somebody's willing to do the word, um, it changes the relationship, doesn't it? Yes. And what we're talking specifically about is the way table fellowship does that. Mm. That these aren't just good deeds of changing. I mean, it's good to change a tire, a flat tire. I personally don't know how to do that. So you really don't want to have. But helping neighbors, those are very good things. But to gather nightly at the table. That has the thumbprint of Jesus all over it. Yeah. Rosaria, I need to ask some tough questions, too, about our attitude as Christians mm-hmm. and, and the issue about our tongue and how we use our tongue. But, but this idea, I think it's partly born out of insecurity that we don't know enough to spiritually battle competently. And so we turn to this defensive posture yeah. when people knock us off our our spot, right. and we attack verbally, right. which is utterly the wrong thing to do when you're yeah, talking absolutely. to somebody with the gospel. I love Romans 2.4, which says, don't you know it's God's kindness mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. that leads one to repentance. Right. I mean, this is what you're saying. Right. It doesn't. I often speak in front of audiences, and I'll ask, "Who was beaten verbally, emotionally, or physically into the kingdom of God?" Right. Zero. I've never had a hand go up. No, absolutely. Nobody has will. said to me, "I was so mistreated by those Christians right. that I decided to become one of them." Right. Absolutely. It's always the other way. That's I right. saw such incredible love. They right. treated me with such kindness. Right. Right. And yet, it's a tool we don't readily use. That's right. No, I think that's absolutely right. But I would also add to that that those Christians were disarming. I came to them with a sense that this is who I am. I came to them with a sense that I am a lesbian. That's what I said to Ken Smith, my first meeting. Two years later, through his clear gospel witness and love, I came to realize that lesbian may very well be how I was, but it will never be who I am. Which is so, so powerful. He did not meet me where I was and leave me there. He met me where I was and took my hand and said, let's go talk to Jesus about this. Yes. But again, there's no way for you to have a good witness to your neighbors if you're mouthing off on Facebook. I mean, I'm or sorry. Or in person. Well, or in person. <laughs> but I would say a big challenge that people have is that they've gotten really comfortable with this idea mm-hmm. that when I'm with my people, I'm just going to let loose. Yes. We have unguarded, unsanctified speech with each other because we don't think that outsiders are listening in, and we apparently don't seem to think that Jesus is listening in, too. Yeah, so we behave differently. Um, This has been a great conversation and uh, a challenging one. I know that some people are going, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Uh, The best thing is read the scripture. Look at 2 Timothy 2.22. Read it right to the end of that chapter. I think you'll be convinced that um, certainly the Lord and the disciples were teaching us all, not just Timothy and those of the New Testament time, but us as well as Christians in the modern era to um, better understand the heart of God. And this is a fantastic book. Uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, love the title. And I'd love to see it in everyone's home. And I'm telling you, if you can make a gift of any amount, uh, I'll say thank you by sending you a copy of the book and uh, hopefully putting that in your hands so you can put it into use. That's the goal. And if you can't make a gift, that's okay. I believe in the message so much. Others will cover the cost of that. So just get a hold of us. And uh, let's get this into your hands so you can better understand the heart of God. Rosaria, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. And one more thing for our listeners. If you wish you could go deeper on challenging topics like this about faith and living out God's truth in a culture that's moving far away from God's best, I want to invite you to join me for my bi-weekly Refocus podcast. In every episode, we're asking hard questions and we're trying to inspire you to be salt and light in today's world. So join us. The details are at our website. Yeah, we're really excited about Refocus with Jim Daly. You can learn more about the podcast and also about Dr. Butterfield and her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, when you call 800-A-FAMILY, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. 
Stay tuned. You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash get help. That's focusonthefamily.com slash get help. If we're going to be agents of grace, then we need to get close enough to the stranger to put the hand of the stranger into the hand of the Savior. And you know what? Somebody here is going to get hurt. That's Dr. Rosaria Butterfield describing what she calls radically ordinary hospitality, where we learn how to interact with people much like Jesus did. And like Jesus, our beliefs may rub some people the wrong way, and we'll face some hostility for that. But God calls us to reach out anyway. Today on Focus on the Family, Dr. Butterfield returns with more on this very important topic. And your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, I'm sure most of us view hospitality as a great idea, really important. Uh, But often it's not a priority. It's just down on the checklist. We'll throw a dinner party here and there, but living it as a lifestyle is the question. And people accessing the gospel through that is really the opportunity. Um, After all of the homework is done and the calendar is clear, uh, we might make a chance to do the summer barbecue or the winter get-together. But how do we create that rhythm in our homes Mm -hmm. where this is a constant thing and that neighbors know this is a place they can come, especially if they're hurt or wounded? That doesn't happen overnight. That happens through developing relationship. And we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Butterfield today. Uh, She's written a wonderful book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And uh, it really is an important work to remind us that God is about relationship, pure and simple. And through relationship is how he cracks the crusty heart of the unbeliever and the crusty heart of the believer. Mm. Yeah, I really appreciated the emphasis on being open on a regular basis, as you just said, Jim, because I think um, every year ends, and I, th- I, I kind of look back and figure, oh, I missed the barbecue chance. You know, I, I missed <laughs> the, one, I missed the one time of the year to have everybody over. And so the, <laughs> there's some really good content in the first uh, part of our conversation. Go ahead and get that. Uh, it's on CD or a free download. And get the book that we're talking about, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, at our website, focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast, or call 800, the letter A, and the word family, and we can tell you more. Now, we've got a live audience in the studio today, and we'll hear some questions from them later on in the program. Rosaria, welcome back to Focus. Oh, thank you so much. I'm always energized. You just, you have such an intriguing life. I mean, the (laughs) Lord has really used you in so many ways, and you're such a smart PhD in English literature. Why did you do that? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you why. Because I was raised in a house with a lot of violence and Mm. a lot of alcohol and a lot of craziness, and I personally decided that I wanted my drama to be between two pages of a book. Mm-hmm. Really? So you just so fell into reading? I did. I did. And I, and I love the human story, mm. but living it in the rawness that happens apart from mediation in Christ yeah. could just kill you. You know, uh, knowing your story and having you here on previous broadcasts and talking about that, 
It's intriguing to me how the Bible illuminated for you. As, yeah. as a PhD in English literature, mm-hmm. you're reading in exceptional works in the Bible. I mean, these mm-hmm. incredible thoughts. Describe that as yeah. a person who is a word person. Right, right, right. How did that pop for you? Right. Well, I was a word person who was not trained in the evangelical church. So nobody told me I'm supposed to read the Bible the way you might read a horoscope or <laughs> right. a fortune cookie. So that was actually my great blessing, <laughs> right. is that I actually looked at it as a book, actually a library of 66 books with a unified biblical revelation. Well, that was the challenge. You know, Ken Smith was saying there's a unified biblical revelation, and almost every word in that description was something I was stumbling over. How do you unify 66 books with all these authors? Well, the biblical answer is it's God-breathed. Right. What do you mean it's a revelation? You know, I'm a reader-response critic. I'm a writer of books. Books are made, not revealed. And so I, I was reading it, as a book, I'm trained to read books. And so I, it was, it's an amazing book. And if you just sit down and read the book, if you just sat down today and read Genesis, there would be no question that when God said that the sin of Adam brings death into the world, that sounds very kind of pie in the sky if you read it too slowly. If you read it in one sitting, Adam sins and it's a bloodbath. But the Bible it became clear to me that if you actually want to taste and see the power of the age to come, you can do that every time you read the Bible. Hmm. But don't read it like a fortune cookie. Read it the way God intends you to read it, according to its genre, yeah. according to its context, according to its purpose. And it's a powerful book. It will undo you. Well, again, as an expert in that area, I mean, that must have been incredible for you to just have your heart illuminated by the word of God and to understand the big narrative, the themes, what what the Lord breathed through people to put down. Well, incredible is, I mean, I actually felt like a vampire. Hmm. I mean, like, I really, like, after my conversion, I felt like I did not reflect in mirrors uh, the identity that I had for myself, especially as a lesbian, as an activist, as a feminist, all of the things that I had built my identity around crumbled. And so that's, to me, when we're talking about these questions of, of faith in the world, we're talking about what it means to be radically converted. And each person, whether you were converted in the womb or whether you were converted at the Gay Pride March or any place in between. It is a radical work of God. And with that comes responsibilities. But the other thing that, that comes with that is, to a certain degree, grief, especially the later you are. And I think we would do well to recognize that, that people who are converted later in life, there is a grief attached to that. Hmm. Certainly there's the grief of the sin you've committed in the name of Jesus and the blood that he shed for you, but also a grief of lost friendships, lost family members. If you're living for him, it's true. You're going to encounter that. You will lose those. That's so true. And that brings us to this wonderful book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. You're pressing um, in on hospitality and the need to raise that Mm -hmm. in the modern church so that we can better connect with people and you know share the gospel with them be ready in season 
to give that word. Uh, let's pick up where we left off last time. And if you missed that program, download it. Uh, call us here at Focus on the Family. John will give those details in a minute. But get a copy of it. It was a great conversation, I thought, and um, you know, just really began to open up my eyes to doing things a little differently. Let's speak to the counterfeit hospitality of today mm-hmm. yes. and talk about how we get confused in the church about what hospitality truly means. That's right. And I think that's a key issue. Um, in fact, I think I think the church is hoodwinked by counterfeit hospitality. What does that look like, counterfeit hospitality? Counterfeit hospitality is something you can buy. So when you tell me that you are practicing hospitality because your guest room is an Airbnb, that's counterfeit hospitality. I mean, there's nothing wrong with making your guest room an Airbnb, but please don't call it hospitality. Right. That's, Just a, call that's it, a paid yeah, transaction. It's your gig. It's your paid right. gig. Um, that's okay. The barista at Starbucks, she may be very nice to you every morning at 6 a.m., but that's not hospitality. That's counterfeit hospitality. And um, it's not demeaning. You're no. saying it's transactional. It's I mean, transactional. she's smiling or he's right, smiling right. because you're buying coffee You're from buying them. coffee. You're a customer. That's right. And, and in counterfeit hospitality, there's a very fixed relationship between host and guest. In Christian hospitality, it's a very fluid relationship. Even in your own home, you can be both host and guest. What, what do you mean by fluid? Oh. I mean, go on yeah, more well, with that. Yeah, what I mean by that is that, you know, you saw that Jesus, first of all, he's our model for that. He was both host and guest, that he would receive help and he would give help, mm. that he would enlist other people as practitioners of this necessary hospitality, even at the same time that he was the guest of honor. Mm -hmm. So it was not a showy thing. You know, in counterfeit hospitality, also known as entertainment, it's a big deal that your dishes match. It's a big deal that there's no cat hair on the couch. It's a big deal (laughs) that your minestrone soup is a special family recipe. But in Christian hospitality, all of that is the backdrop for... Jesus entering our conversation and our relationships. There's nothing wrong, though, with the people that really want to do it well, is there? Well, it depends. If it becomes an idol, then there is. Hmm. I I mean, if you want people to look at you and say, you are so good at this, then you know what? I'd say that's sinful. You want people to not look at you at all, but they want to see your home as a bridge to the gospel itself. Well, that truly is a problem. Perfectionism will drive you in that direction. Mm-hmm. What I want to get back to, though, is that idea of uh, counterfeit hospitality. You shared a story in your book that caught my attention. I think mm-hmm. this would be more the typical scenario where I think it was a couple in your church said, you know, I don't really agree, uh, Rosaria, with your form of hospitality. We have two chairs, two chairs only at the table, yep. and that's all we need. Yeah. Describe that if I'm accurate in yeah. that reflection. Yeah, oh, no, no, absolutely. And then what, what, spiritually, what's going on there? Sure, sure. First, first of all, the question comes to me as a pastor's wife, and those are always big challenges, right? Because, you know, as a pastor's wife, you are the repository of all criticism of your husband and your family. You're on display. All the time. So you just, but this was a family who, he, they really took issue at the, at one point, we gave our family van away. And we decided to just become a one-car family, and um, which, you know, come on, people. This is what a first-world problem to have. Like, <laughs> God forbid we call that a hardship. But anyway, we're going to, you know, fly with me here. They thought it was showy. They thought it was ostentatious. We gave our, our van away to a, um, a family that had traveled internationally to study at a nearby seminary, and 
you know, they really just, they're from the Netherlands. They thought they're, you know, he thought he was going to put his pregnant wife and two, two small children on the back of a bike and drive, you know, <laughs> pedal on a highway and get to school. And we just felt like they were going to die. And so this was a family that was already doing a slow boil. And then when we started practicing open hospitality and when, um, when we started to see conversions from this, mm-hmm. when, um, when we stopped looking at our own strength to determine what we could do and started doing something else. Um, and that something else would be calling Jesus to help us. But it what, was all too much. And so, yeah, so they were just, they were very upset with us. They did right. a, slow bro- a slow boil And what that. was their point? I mean, to say, well, we only have two chairs. Yeah, their point is that boundaries, uh, they are very important people. I'll tell you, I know these people. They're very important people. They have very high advanced degrees, a little bit like mine. <laughs> and instead of like peeling potatoes and um, caring for foster babies and picking up neighbor kids at the bus stop, they're doing very important things with their very important degrees. And they didn't like the fact that that's not my calling. So in that context, and it's for all of us, everybody, yeah. we can lay our lifestyles down sure. for a minute and hopefully hear what Rosaria is saying. Is it out of our conviction then that we're responding that way? Are you stepping on our oxygen hose when you say you're doing these things? I'm not intending to. No, I know. But I'm saying why people respond like that. Why not? Hey, okay. So that's interesting. I could stretch a little bit there. Maybe put two more chairs at the table. This was also a family that wasn't keen on the kind of um, what they considered to be risky adoptions we were engaging in, too. I mean, this was a family with some issues. Well, let me let me pull it from the other side. Okay. Is it reasonable to have some boundaries? Absolutely. And what do those look like? Well, those are going to look different for different households. Okay, that's Absolutely. fair. Absolutely. So they, of course it is. But what's not reasonable, I would say, is to not expect great things from God when you open your Christian life to others. So that's the part. But it'll look different for different households, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. Kent and I made a decision when we got married 17 years ago that I would leave my tenured post at a, at a major research university um, so that I could become a church planner's wife. One of the first jobs <laughs> I had was Lord's Day morning cleaning the toilets. No kidding, because our church uh, met at a community center, and Saturday night, the last thing that happened was open men's basketball. <laughs> so you know what? The bathrooms were a wreck. The bathrooms were a wreck, and I had to either decide, I mean, was I too important to do that, or would I rather, as Psalm 84 said, be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord? The Christian life is a humbling life. My gifts, whatever those might be, are filthy rags. Mm. God wants to use them, so be it. But I will tell you that Kent and I have never looked back. The Lord has sustained our family. He has prospered us as we have needed. And we have been able to, we've had a front row seat of watching people come to Christ who are as unlikely as I am here in the Christian life. If we ever wanted to teach our children stranger danger or the idea that Jesus is some little prop, you pull out Lord's Day morning or Wednesday night youth group, they would laugh in our face. Mm. And I praise God for that. Well, and that's a whole other thing, just the reality of living the Christian life well so your children can see and and actually experience what it means to live out the gospel. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. 
Your marriage can be redeemed, even if the fights seem constant, even if there's been an affair, even if you haven't felt close in years. No matter how deep the wounds are, you can take a step toward healing them with a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive. Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face challenges together. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. Call us at 1-866-875-2915. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. All right, I'd like to transition here and invite anyone from our audience to ask Dr. Butterfield a question, if you want to. Uh, just come to the microphone and give us your name and your question. Go ahead. Hi, Dr. Butterfield. My name is Tim. Hi, Tim. I'm originally from uh, Tampa, Florida, but I live in Falcon, Colorado now. And okay. uh, just want to thank you for being here and for sharing your story. Uh, my question uh, to you is... You know, after uh, people read your book or maybe they hear this broadcast and they start thinking about this concept of, of Christ-centered hospitality, what do you say to those who might listen and then say, you know what, I just don't have that spiritual gift, you know, it's not something that I can do, and they just kind of disregard this because they think this isn't, you know something that God gave me a gift to do. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I think I think that we, we have a false understanding of our giftedness. I mean, my giftedness is called filthy rags, and <laughs> God could use it. Okay, but, you know, the, the gospel is not going to rise or fall on Rosaria's giftedness. In fact, my personal giftings in, um, say, writing, for example, they got, it got me into a lot more trouble than less. You know, people talk about my three books. I've written more than three books. It took a lot to pull the plug on the pre-Christian books. That's not easy to euthanize. In fact, it's probably, you know, harder to euthanize a book than it is a dog. So, so first of all, let's not have an overblown notion of our gifts. But hospitality is a command. It's a command in Scripture for people to participate with, whether you're on the front line or the sidelines. And so, you know, hopefully, if you've read the book, you would realize that I don't think of, of hospitality as something that is, it's not a one-fit, one-way issue. Our home, our home hospitality depends on many, many stakeholders. We have, like, you know, right now I'm here and I'm not home. And the good news is my phone is off because otherwise you'd, you'd be at this kind of this <laughs> constant din of Kent realizing that I'm not here, that I'm not home and dinner tonight <laughs> and who's coming. And usually at some point, like probably about five o'clock, he's going to say, Noah, just go pick up KFC. You know, Rosie's not home. I don't know what we're going to do. Um, <laughs> right. And so, so, you know, it's not a one person show. It's also not a display of giftedness. Hospitality is a laying down of your life. It's a sacrifice so that the hand of the stranger can be put into the hand of the Savior. It's, it's bridge work. It doesn't bring attention to itself. The last thing you want is somebody to ask you for a recipe at the end of the night. You want them to ask you if they could have some follow-up time to pray about something that we, we just talked about when we opened our Bibles. So giftedness is a bereft concept. It leads to a kind of hyper-individualism, and it also leads to this false idea that you are going to, through your giftedness, disciple people into the kingdom of God. God forbid. Hmm. Real converts happen because God steps in 
and changes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. And if we appeal to the language of giftedness, we are appealing to this idea, and it's a terrible, terrible idea, and it's one that says if you're convinced by the gospel, you're also converted unto it. Not true. You know, I spend a lot of time talking to people who court a particular sin. They love their sin. Their sin, um, you know, and often our sin comes to us uh, without our, our asking for it. Um, our original sin is a little bit like having a cute little kitten follow you home. Cute little thing. It's adorable. <laughs> you know, you bottle feed it, you pet it, you stroke it. Oh, its stripes start to come out. It's lovely. You start to notice it's a tiger. And you do know that might be a problem. So you buy it a collar and a leash. You're like, I got this. I got this. Well, that's your original sin turning into your indwelling sin. And you know, we live in a world where people are coddling this idea of original sin and indwelling sin. They coddle it all the time. And they say to me, I don't know why you think that I'm living in sin. I love Jesus. And I say, what do you mean you love Jesus? And they say, I don't know. I can't explain it. I just wake up every morning loving Jesus. I say, well, I don't wake up every morning loving Jesus. I wake up every morning loving Rosaria. And in order to love Jesus, I need to drive a fresh nail into my choice sin every day. And then I can love Jesus. You see, repentance is the threshold to God, not giftedness. Mm. We live in a culture that is either leading with its giftedness or leading with its repentance. Pick. So I think we need to really call it for what it is. We've got a lot of false gospel uh, messaging and a lot of false converts. And Satan loves this. Mm, that is good. Good morning, Dr. Butterfield. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm a local pastor, and I appreciate your transparency. So thank you. Thank you. I'm presently teaching through the Gospel of Mark, and I've uh, made an observation among the congregation. I was curious if you've seen this in your local church or other congregations or other Christians that you're involved with when it comes to sharing the Gospel. I, I do believe, and you've alluded to it, that uh, busyness is a problem. Mm -hmm. I believe it's one of the cancers of our culture. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, but I've also there's a perception I see in our local congregation of a, I think it's a false perception, but it's, it's one of autonomy, in that um, you know I have the right to make these decisions, and I have freedom, and there is truth in that, mm -hmm. but it's acted as though or perceived I should say as uh, I am autonomous, I can make these decisions on my own. And I was curious, do you see this in the Christian community? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say it's connected to church culture in a deep way. And so, you know, there are a couple of ways that your life in the body can either inculcate a kind of a secular modernist autonomy, or it can inculcate a genuine belonging. And one of the ways that has been really useful to us is to see the, the keeping of the Lord's Day holy as almost a practice day for Christians for every other day of the week. And so, and I realize this is a touchy subject, right? I mean, and this is why, you know, when I'm telling you, you know, every suggestion I'm giving to you is an extension of a theology, and so if you don't have your theology right, your application is going to be, it's going to be haphazard or haywire, or people are just going to not be able to get behind it. 
So we believe, we're Sabbatarians. We believe in keeping the Lord's Day holy. That means that, you know, when the benediction is still ringing in your ear, instead of everybody scrambling off to their different things, we're actually still hanging together. And, and we, we spend the day together. And that often means that, you know, there are 25 people at my house by six o'clock. And then neighbor kids come over and neighbors come over because they're not sure what the party is. You know, they just, they don't understand why these Bible-believing Christians, they're the best parties in town. But, you know, there you have it. So I think that the Lord's Day is a really good practice day for setting your priorities in order. But I, I also think that the covenant of church membership in there, it is a covenant. It is not like your YMCA membership, all right, we are accountable to one another in the body, um, and so I think really rehearsing that and practicing that is helpful. I, I would say, and again, I get a lot of pushback on this. First Corinthians ten thirteen, no temptation <clears throat> has befallen you except for that which is common to man, and God will give you a way of escape so that you can endure it. What if that way of escape is your home, but your door is locked? Or, you know, you're so busy coaching soccer that day. And again, I don't, you know, I, I'm not railing against soccer, but, you know, it, it's a matter of priority. Is your covenant of church membership, even if you're a married person, is your covenant of marriage, is God calling you to use that to better insulate and protect and connect with others? I think the answer is yes. Rosaria, thank you so much for this wonderful book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. I think it's one of the most important messages for the church right now. And it's just like the Lord to say, bring it back to the basics. Mm -hmm. I'm about relationship. I want you to be about relationship. So together we can save souls for eternity. Mm -hmm. Isn't it Amen. that simple yes. and yet that difficult? Mm -hmm. And you have uh, put it in reach for all of us through this great book. Uh, now, if you've been listening to our conversation and you're thinking, I can do this, this is something my family should be involved in, I hope you'll contact us and get a copy of The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And if you can send a financial gift of any amount today, we will gladly put this book into your hands. That's our way of saying thank you for supporting this broadcast and all of the resources we are trying to provide for families in crisis. Contact us today and be generous with your support of Focus on the Family so we can achieve that goal. And our number is 800-232-6459. That's 800, the letter A, and the word family. Or you can donate online at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And Jim, the content of today's conversation and last time remind me of your new Refocus with Jim Daly podcast. Well, thanks for mentioning that, John. It's true. I have a new podcast where I'm talking with some of the world's most profound and respected thinkers, uh, people who are willing to tackle tough issues in our culture today. And our goal is to help you navigate these issues with faith, grace, and godly truth. Refocus is a bi-weekly uh, podcast, and we have all the details at our website. Uh, Rosaria, it's been so good to have you with us again these past two days. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, I just praise God for the ministry here at Focus on the Family, and it's my honor to partner with you when whenever you all call me back to Colorado. Yeah, it's it. It'll be soon. <laughs> on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.
Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.